Hi everyone, my name is Ben Espinosa, and my family has been with New City since I was three. Um, please stand for the reading of our scripture, Mark 9, 33 through 37. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer, because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve disciples over to him. And said, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Please be seated. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Good morning, New City. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. What a joy it is to be here with you on Next Gen Sunday. Um, this is, I was telling, yeah, let's give it up for Next Gen Sunday. Uh, I, was, I was telling our staff earlier, we have a prayer time before service gets going that, you know, I think this is one of the most important days in the life of, of our church for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, one, did you know that... Um, the, the highest probability of beginning a journey with Jesus happens before you're 18 years old. So if we look at the population of our, of our little community here, um, the, the, the group of people that um, have the most opportunity to begin a life with Jesus is our next-gen ministries. And so it's a, it's a huge, important part of our church um, and one of our primary um, ministries. But the second reason is, is that there's also the most room and need uh, for, for the rest of us to serve because that part of our church is growing the fastest. And so we're going to, I'm talking about that at the beginning. I'm going to talk about that at the end that um, I think many of you are supposed to be serving in the, in the next gen ministries. I'm hoping today inspires you um, to, that, to that end. Um, first though, I want to start by uh, asking those um, who currently work with NextGen, uh, either here at New City in one of our ministries, or maybe just in the broader community as a teacher or a coach or a mentor or a counselor or an administrator in a school, would you mind just raising your hand if you currently serve NextGen? Raise it proud. You guys are significant. Would you give a round of applause to our NextGen? Thank you guys so much for, for serving. And, and I just want to say thank you as a dad Thank you so much for investing in our kids. You know, um, so many of us have a story of, of people who've invested in us through the years. And if we look back on our life and um, the, the people of significance who've shaped us, you know, many of those people were in our lives between zero and 18, and we still remember those folks. Um, I got a text from my high school football coach uh, just this week. His name's Steve, and we stayed in touch through the years, and you know, I was not a great high school football player. I didn't have a lot to offer. Steve is a high school football coach. He wasn't going to win the state championship because of me, but, but he invested in me. Um, before I could offer anything, he invested in me, and it changed my life. And sometime I'll, I'll tell you that story, but Steve is, is still a dear friend. And, and, you know, it's people like Steve and people like those of you who are investing in NextGen um, who are changing the next generation, um, who are leading people to follow and find Jesus in this generation. 
Well, Jesus has a lot to say about the next generation and its significance in the kingdom. And in our passage today, it, a lot of things are, are, are going on, but one of the things that's going on is this line that I want to kind of draw us to over and over again this morning. In verse 36, he says, then he put a little child among them. Then he put a little child among them. And I just kind of want us to kind of keep centering around that, that little line that, you know, in, in God's kingdom, he's doing this important work to change the world and, and he's with his disciples and he's calling them to, to follow him. And yet in, in the middle of a really important conversation, what does he do? He, he puts a, a child, someone in the next generation, right in the center of the room because that child has something to say um, to the larger community. So I want us to first zoom out and look at the scene that's happening uh, with the passage that Ben read for us this morning. You know, when we're reading the scriptures, context is so important. Uh, you know, it's, it's the context is what's happening around the story that, that we're reading. And so earlier in the passage, if you go back and read that, Jesus tells his disciples for the first time that he's going to have to suffer and die. And that was a really hard message for the disciples to receive because it was so counter to what they believed the story was. You know, I, I don't know how much we realize this now, but the disciples thought that Jesus was going to be king in an earthly way, that he was going to take over um, Israel, that he was going to conquer the Romans, that he was going to bring about the renewal and the peace and the power that Israel had been longing for for thousands of years. They thought that he was going to do that in their lifetime. And so when he says, listen, guys, I'm going to actually suffer at the hands of the Romans, of these oppressors that you think I'm going to conquer, um, they're going to kill me and I'm going to die. And, and the plan of God is not going to come about in strength, it's going to come about in weakness. And they didn't fully understand that message. And so they're thrown by it because it challenged everything about their worldview and their plans. And so after that troubling conversation, they're walking along a road. And, and if you read the Gospels, I, I, I love so many of the scenes are, you know, not in formal settings. So many of the scenes with the disciples and with Jesus are just like walking along the road. And I think that's a beautiful image of the way that Jesus went about doing ministry. It was ministry along the way of life. And I want to come back to that theme too, because when we're talking about ministry to one another, especially ministry to the next generation, you know, that primarily does not happen in programs. That does not happen from the pulpit. That happens on the road as you're going on in life. Um, if I think about the profound moments in my Christian journey, it was people who walked the road like Jesus did with his friends and that's where you begin to understand the truth. And so they're, they're walking along the road, but this time they're not with Jesus. And, and we learn from the, the text that we read this morning um, is that they were walking and they were having a discussion. And it says they finally, they arrive in Capernaum, uh, which is a, a little tiny seaside village with little tiny houses. So just imagine like the smallest vi village you can imagine. I mean, Capernaum is barely larger than the footprint of Matthews, uh, not the town, our church, this church campus. That's about how big Capernaum is. And it's a fishing village. And so they arrive at this fishing village where Peter lived, um, where some of the disciples lived. And it says in verse 33, 
they arrived there and they settled into a house, a beautiful image. They're settling into this little tiny house. They're crammed in there. And it says, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? And of course he knows what they were talking about. Now, whether he knows that like mysteriously from a spiritual perspective, or he just kind of infers it because of the way they're acting, they're probably acting really weird, um, but says, what were, you, what were you discussing out on the road? And, and we can infer from uh, the next verse that they were ashamed, that they knew Jesus wouldn't approve of their answer. It says they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. And let's just sit with that contrast for a minute. Jesus just told them, listen, the way of the kingdom, the plan of God is that I'm gonna have to suffer and die and that my kingdom's gonna come about not in power, but in weakness. And they immediately leave that conversation and begin arguing about who is the greatest. And I don't know all the things behind that, um, but I think that there's a, a question that was deep in their hearts that's driving that conversation. And it's something we can all resonate with because I think what was behind like, hey, how are we gonna have power? Who's gonna be the greatest? Like kind of what is the structure of this thing gonna be after Jesus dies is that they're really saying, how are we gonna make a difference? Because the problems haven't changed. Rome is still oppressing us. Like the temple is still not at the center of the story. All things are not made new. And I thought we were supposed to make a difference with our lives. I, th I thought in my lifetime, I was gonna be able to make a difference in the world. And so they're troubled because their plans don't seem to be working out the way they thought. And so instead of trusting, they moved to this position of planning and scheming and figuring out how are we gonna make our lives matter on our own. And I don't know about you, but that deeply resonates with me because isn't that the way we are? Is that we want our lives to count for something. We want to live a life of significance. At the end of the story, we wanna know that we made a difference, that for some reason, because we lived, the world was different. We don't wanna just exist. We wanna thrive and we want to make a difference in the world. And so did the disciples. And so um, verse uh, 35, Jesus set, sits them down and he calls the 12 disciples over to him. Again, they're in a, a, a tiny house. Um, and, and he says, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. A countercultural message. And, and we're used to hearing this message in church that, you know, if you want to be first, you have to be last. But this is a radical statement. When you think about the question, how am I to make a difference in the world? It's not by being first. It's, it's not by being influential. It's not by being wealthy. It, it's not by controlling things. It's not by taking over a huge ministry. It's, it's by being last. It's by being a servant. And, and it's so countercultural, and we don't know how to engage in that way of being really in the world because the whole world has an alternative message for us. And, and so first of all, I just want us to sit in this reality that our whole world says, if you wanna be first, you have to be first. You have to take over. You have to make things happen. If you wanna do something great, you, you better work for it. You better strive for it. You better do something big and profound and amazing and spectacular. And yet Jesus says, no, 
If you want to make a difference, you go last. And that feels very unsettling. That feels out of control, I think. And so Jesus, to make the point further, does another radical thing. Verse 36, the verse we want to camp on. Then he put a little child among them. Why does he put a little child among them? If we, if we just think, think about this for a minute, not as a theological conversation, but just imagine, you know, a little village and a little house and Jesus and 12 guys crammed in there. There's probably some women making food for them. It's probably getting a little bit dark. Maybe there's some candlelight happening. And, and, and Jesus is challenging their entire worldview. And, and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed because they've been found out. And then Jesus brings this little kid. And, and, and I imagine he sits the little kid right on his lap, right at the center. And, and the awkwardness in the room gets even more awkward. And the disciples wonder what's happening. Because you see, in, in this culture, in the first century in Galilee, children have no influence. Children don't have anything to offer in return. You know, they can't earn money. Uh, they, they can't teach. They, they can't really do anything of value. And so it's awkward for Jesus to bring a child into this serious conversation with serious people, with men. And yet that's exactly what he does. Why does he do that? Well, he's, he's making a statement and I love the way that Jesus teaches because he doesn't just teach us in words. He teaches us in experiences and images. And, and I'm sure the disciples never forgot that moment of embarrassment, of realizing that, hey, I want to make a difference in the world. And, and, I, and I'm going to do that through power. And I'm going to do that through influence. And I'm going to do that through my plans. And then that moment where Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not. And he affirms that they are made for significance, but says the way that you're going about it is all wrong. And he says, you got to be a servant. And then he brings this little kid, and they never forget that moment when the little kid was sitting on his lap. And they'll never forget the words that he says next. Taking the child in his arms, which in the Greek, the taking his, the child in his arms means he, he hugged him. He wrapped his arms around the little child. And, and it was a picture of intimacy, of, of the God of the universe embracing the weakest person in the community at the center of this serious conversation about serious purpose in life. And he says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but my father through, who sent me. You see, Jesus is making a statement about the way God calls us to make a difference in this world. And it's not through status. It's through weakness. It's through service. And it's through this beautiful idea of welcoming. And it's welcoming, welcoming the least of these, those who have nothing to offer in return, and welcoming them one person at a time. You see, this is intricate. This is a big lesson because this is intricate to God's plan to save the world. God's plan to save the world is not through nations and militaries and power. God's plan to save the world is not through corporations who are going to do beautiful and great things in the world and, and build amazing products. 
You know, God's plan is to save the world is not through politics, that if we just get the right person in office and vote the right way and get the right policies in place, that the world will be transformed into the image of the way that God wants the world to be. No, God's way is not any of these things. God's way is welcoming the weak one at a time. The last part of this verse is the most powerful says, anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. You see, God of the universe sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. And how did he send him? You, you know, even the disciples were confused about this because they thought that God was sending the Messiah in strength and in power as a ruler, as a political authority, one who would take over everything. And in this moment, all of that worldview is coming crashing down because God did not send his only son in power. Instead, he sent him as a meek, small baby, powerless. You see, Jesus in his life was poor. He was a day laborer. He he never made even one podcast. Can you imagine that? How is it possible? Jesus never wrote a book. He never had a radio show. Jesus came in weakness because that's the way that God sent him as an example to us because this is the plan of God to save the world. But see, not only did God send Jesus to invite us to sit at God's table, to be a part of his family, to understand who we are, and to invite, but also to invite others as well. And I just, today, as we think about, you know, next, the next generation and uh, the opportunity that presents in our community, I really want to challenge us this morning because I imagine that every single one of you wants to make a difference with your life. No one wakes up on Monday morning and says, you know what, I don't want my life to count for anything. I just kind of want to live for myself. I just really just want to be comfortable and have a lot of stuff. I mean, not really, like, we all reach the end of that story that's shallow and at some point realize I want to make a difference in the world. I want my days to count. I want to leverage who I am to do something of significance. And if you've never thought about this idea before, I want to challenge you that that what if not only did God send Jesus into the world, but he sent you to New City? Why? Why are you here? I mean, obviously the preaching is amazing, so that's why we're here. We have good coffee and, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you think you might be here. But I think like one of the most profound things that you can realize in your spiritual journey is, is that the reason that you are where you are is not for the reason that you thought. And I want to challenge you that if you're sitting in this room today, if you're listening to this message today, that God sent you to New City, to this community. And and more than that, that you're invited by Jesus to be here so that you might invite just one other person to find and follow Jesus. You see, this is God's plan to save the world, not flashy ministries, not actually preaching. It's one at a time. And you know, we all have our story. If we're a follower of Jesus, we have a story of people 
who are people of influence in our lives. And I don't know about you, but for me, the, the most profound influence that happened in my life was before I was 18 years old. And I could tell you a thousand stories of people who invested and I'm so blessed by that. But I just wanted to name a few people because you see 30, 35 years later, I still remember these people's names, their images, and the things they did for me are vivid in my mind because you know what? These were people who were called to be in the community where I was, and they rejected the idea that they had to do something big and flashy, and instead they invested in a goofy kid who didn't look like much, who didn't have anything to offer them in return. And those people were people like Johnny Hazelton and Hugh and Elizabeth Allison and John and Leslie Behrens and Christian Collins Wynn and Eric Nelson and Roger Severino. And most importantly, Robbie and Janet Fisher. And you heard from Robbie last week. You see, these people invested in me. They welcomed me. And that's such an important word, isn't it? because the world is not a welcoming place. The world is a place that rejects people, but in God's kingdom, you are welcomed, but you're not just welcomed spiritually by a God that you can't see, you're supposed to be welcomed physically and viscerally and relationally by people you can see. And I wanna challenge you that some of you are called to be here because you're supposed to be investing in just one other in the next generation. And I, I'm, I'm, we're focusing on that, the next generation today, but listen, it's the biggest part of our church. It's the, most, it's the part of our church that's growing the most. And it's the part of our church where there's the most opportunity for people to make life-changing decisions to follow Jesus. And when people at this age make a decision to follow Jesus and they do that because people of influence like you decide to invest in them, through the ministry here, through one-to-one -one relationships, you know what, it changes the rest of their life. And I just want you to think about that for a minute, that when you invest in a young person and, and because you welcome them in the, in the name of Jesus, they begin to follow the Lord and then that changes the trajectory of their life and they make decisions not based on what the world says about them, but instead what Jesus says about them. And then they take that into their life and they make decisions in career, they make decisions in marriage, they make decisions in parenting. And you see, the generations are changed. Not because of powerful sermons, but because of influence, one person to another, most profoundly, when that's to a younger person who's ready to receive that influence. And some of you might have a lot of objections to this, and I just wanna name a couple of those. Because you know that the, the easiest thing is just to just to like be apathetic towards the thing I'm saying and say, you know, that's just not for me. You don't know me, Gabe. I'm not called to, to, to students. Well, you know what? I think we all have one calling to the Lord Jesus, and we have many assignments in our life, and our assignments change, but our assignments always challenge us. And it always requires faith. And so I don't know what your objections are, but I imagine that one of them might be, I don't have what it takes, I'm not ready. You know, I don't know enough theology, I haven't been to seminary, I don't have the education, and I, maybe I just, I don't, I'm not comfortable around kids or students. But I wanna challenge that because I want us to look for a second at the people that Jesus chose. Who did Jesus choose to be the 12 who would change the course of history? 
Were they the powerful? Were they the influential? Were they the political leaders? Were they the smart ones? No. They were people like Matthew, who was a Roman tax collector who was stealing money from his own people. There was people like Simon the Zealot, a political insurgent, who, who actually was part of a group to, to militarily, with violent force, take over the Roman Empire, whose mandate for the Zealots was, if you saw a Roman citizen, you're supposed to kill him. And, and this is one of the people that Jesus chooses. There's people like James and John who were just cantankerous fishermen, uneducated men, hard to get along with people, not particularly gifted in any unique way because you see Jesus chose the weak and the broken of the world to make a difference. And Jesus is choosing you too. A second objection that some of you might have is this generation is difficult. I don't understand them. You know, I was out on a golf course this last week and uh, I was playing with two friends and then this older guy got added to our group and we didn't know him and his name was Robert. And my one friend uh, just had a new baby and he was excitedly talking about his kid and all the hope and the potential and just the amazing reality of, of having a new son. And this older gentleman just said, I don't know why anybody would bring a child into this world. And, and he began to articulate all his political positions and, and his lack of hope in the future because he just watches the news like the rest of us. And it's a pretty hopeless scene when you look around out there. And I thought, how sad. You see, he was saying, this generation is lost. I don't understand them and they've lost their way and there's no hope for the future. But I want us to sit with a biblical worldview for a second that says that the next generation will see a tomorrow that we never will. Have you thought about that? Like, in pretty short order, uh, those of us in this room who are adults now are, are, are not going to be difference makers for much longer. But there's a next generation who will raise families and support communities and lead organizations and churches in a time that we never will. So the greatest gift that we can give to our collective tomorrow is the next generation of those who have found and are following Jesus. You see, the hope of the gospel happens when we act like Jesus towards someone who can't give us anything in return. The hope happens when a generation that many have given up on, and maybe some of you resonate with that, you're just like, I don't understand this generation. They speak a different language which they do. I can tell you that I have a 16-year-old and I don't understand half the stuff and I don't know the music and I don't know, I don't understand the culture very much anymore. But you see, hope happens when we engage that generation and we help them meet Jesus and we realize that the people that many people have given up on will be the ones to make a difference in the future for the kingdom of God. And we also remember that the only reason that we're sitting in this room, that we're following Jesus now is because of other people who chose to invest in us when we didn't have anything to offer either. And so guys, I just wanna end with this idea that tomorrow is indeed hopeful. Tomorrow's hopeful in Jesus because you are called to new city now to be a difference maker, to be one who invests in the next generation, that the message of Jesus would be carried on from one person to another. And maybe, just maybe, that person 
is you. And we're going to watch a short video, and then I'm going to finish up. Next Gen Sunday is a time for us to celebrate our next gen finding and following Jesus. When you think about celebrating, you probably don't think about numbers. But when our team looked back over this past year, we found some that are definitely worth celebrating. This year, 36 kids and students were baptized, making their public profession of their faith in Jesus. Over 90 student leaders are volunteering in the next gen. We love this incredible display of the Great Commission by our students as we train and prepare them to live a life of purpose for God and others. A hundred and forty kids went to camp this summer, experiencing magnetic moments and deepening their relationship and their faith in Jesus. Fifty babies and children were dedicated this year. Parents made the decision to be the primary disciple makers in their child's life and dedicated their children to the Lord. Our next-gen environments have grown 41% in the past year, proof that our next generation is seeking God's love and truth. Over 200 volunteer leaders serve our next generation every Sunday morning, creating environments to help students find and follow Jesus. On top of all of that new city, you have poured in over 500 hours to our next generation this year. Kids and students are flooding our doors each weekend that will see a day and a time that we will not. Imagine the power of just one yes. One yes to sitting in a small group with a child and helping them know that they belong and are loved in God's family. One yes to a student serving with them on a trip and helping them find a life full of purpose serving their king. Imagine the power of one yes. New City, tomorrow is hopeful because of our next generation, and we want you to say yes. We all want to be a people who make a difference in the world. And I, I want to challenge you that if, if, if at any moment this morning as, as you've been experiencing this worship service, and maybe it wasn't the message, maybe it was young Denton being baptized, maybe it was in a, a song, but if there was a moment where you thought, you know, man, maybe this is for me. Maybe, I, maybe I'm supposed to be a difference maker with the next generation. I, I want to challenge you, do not leave here today without responding to that, because this is a moment that God is giving you to make your life count for something right now, not in the future, you know, not when your business plans work out, uh, not when you get older, when you get more educated, when you have more significant opportunity. What if the most significant opportunity for your life was right under your nose, and it was right here today? And it was an opportunity to just say yes, yes. I will be a difference maker in the next generation. I wanna challenge you. I think many in this room are called to do that. And just what if our church was a church 
where we had to turn people away because there were so many people volunteering for the next generation, that'd be a wonderful problem to have. And I'm not saying this because we need people to run our programs. I'm saying this because my heart for you is God's heart for you, that your life would be for a purpose, to make a difference, to carry on the message of Jesus with the next generation, that our faith would continue, that, that people would follow Jesus long after you're gone because you are a small group leader, because you are somebody whose life and influence communicated a message of hope and love to kids who hear the opposite in their world. So if you've heard that today, it's really easy to say yes. There's a, there's a card in your seat with instructions how you can respond to that. There's a table out in the lobby where you can get a cool t-shirt like this and sign up. And, um, you know, I think, this is one of those moments that could shape the life of our community and could shape the life of our city if we would just say yes. Hey, thank you guys for listening today. I hope you're encouraged that you're a person of significance, that you're called here for a reason, not by accident, and that the Lord is with us and that he's moving us to a hopeful tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for the next generations. Lord, that these are people that you've made in your image, Lord. And we know that you are shaping your kingdom. And you've always been doing that throughout all of history, but you're doing it right now in our present. And so, Lord, I pray for each person in this room. Lord, that those who, who, who you have spoken to this morning by the power of your spirit, that you've pricked their heart in some way, that you've prompted them that this is a place there to lay down the systems of the world and to be a servant and to serve people who have nothing to offer right now, but who will carry the most important message of the universe into the future. Lord, would you, by a work of your spirit, just prompt those, those whom you've spoken to this morning to not leave here in apathy and indecision, but Lord, just to say yes and take that step of faith and Lord, we thank you for the ways that you invite us in, though we are unworthy. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.